Welcome to Calvary Church, where we are dedicated to loving God and loving people. If you want to know more about us, please check us out online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Happy New Year and welcome to episode one of our renewal series. Over the course of this month, our pastoral team is going to take us through spiritual renewal in prayer, in God's Word, and in our thoughts. And today, my task is to give us an overview of spiritual renewal and to give you some tools to hopefully help you in developing spiritual renewal in your life. And we're going to camp out in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. So if, if you got your Bible, uh, flip, scroll, tap your way there, and we'll, we'll, we'll jump in there in just a minute. But before we do that, for anyone who doesn't know who I am, my name's Brad. Uh, my wife, Melissa, and I have three kids, three young kids, and that honestly still feels a little weird to say because our third was, is less than two weeks old. Alea Rose Fennell was born on Boxing Day at 12.16 in the morning. Yeah, we barely made it past Christmas. And yeah, she's eight pounds, 14 ounces. She's our biggest baby. And bringing her home, everything changes, right? You bring a new baby into the equation and everyone's life is affected. Our kids, uh, ours, everybody, it, it changes. Not everything is completely different, but things are different. Everything we do is affected. Well, the same thing happens when we come to Christ, when we come to Christ, everything in our life is affected. Essentially, everything changes. A lot of things may feel like they stay the same. We're still here. We're still in this world. We still have things to do. But everything should change. Our relationship with Jesus should affect every area of our life. But yet, we face this weird pull towards the way of the world. It's because we're surrounded by the world. We live in the world. We work in the world. We go out there, and the world is so loud, so noisy, telling us its message that it's easy to lose sight of the way of Jesus. And this whole dynamic, this sort of pull that we deal with is nothing new. This is something that has been going on since forever. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes about this very thing. And in chapter 4, he gives us a picture of the way of the world and the way of Christ. He begins by giving us a picture of the way of the world. So starting in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, we read about the way of the world. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. For they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So Paul begins this section of Ephesians 
by talking about the way of the world, by talking about the way we ought not to live as followers of Jesus. And he starts by giving us reasons for why the world is and thinks the way it does. And it's futile thinking, darkened understanding, ignorance, and hard hearts that alienate us from God. Essentially, sin. The, the sin that humanity has inherited and inherently has prevents us from understanding and seeing and knowing God and knowing His way and understanding that His way is the right way. So the pull of the world doesn't know anything of God. And the result of this is indulging in sensuality and impurity. Now, hearing the words sensuality and impurity oftentimes brings to our mind specific things. But Paul gives a list of a more comprehensive list than we maybe even realize throughout chapters 4 and spilling into chapter 5 as he says uh, this indulging in sensuality and impurity leads to lies, anger, stealing, corrupt talk, crude jokes, bitterness, wrath, malice, slander, sexual immorality, covetiveness, and drunkenness, and so much more. Now, all these things exist in our world today as it existed in the city of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And sometimes the expressions of how these things play out have changed. But the heart behind it is always the same. Darkened understanding as the result of sin. And yet, because we live in the world and are surrounded by it and it's so loud... There's a pull that we experience as followers of Jesus. <laughs> Earlier this week, I was sitting on the floor of my kids' room, and they were playing. And then my daughter, Raylan, she came over to me. She snuggled up next to me, and she said, I love you, Daddy. And I said, oh, Ray, I love you so much. And then she looked across at her brother, Kyson, who's two years old, and she said, Kyson, do you love me? And Kyson looked her right in the eyes. And he said, no! And I said, Kyson, come on. You love Raylan. You know you love Raylan. And he looked at me and said, no! And then he went over. He picked up a toy guitar. And he started strumming on it and singing... I love me so much, I love me so much, I love me so much, for like five minutes. And eventually Ray got up and said, I want to turn. And she went over and took the guitar and started singing, I love me so much. And as I was sitting there, I thought, wow, that, that song is one of the primary messages of our world today. I love me so much. Love yourself above everyone and anything else. Do what you want to do. Do what feels good to you. Do what seems right in your own eyes. 
But in the book of Ephesians, we learn and we go on and we see that we ought not to live that way, following the message and the way of the world. Paul wants us to understand that we are to follow the way of Christ. So he goes on. And starting in chapter 4, verse 20, he says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the way of Christ. I want to make one thing very clear here right from the beginning. Paul is assuming that his audience is Jesus' followers. That's why he says, assuming that you have heard about him. That's not the way you were taught about Jesus. So it's important for us to recognize that, that this message is for people who follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, well, sometimes we have a darkened understanding. We'll often hear people say something like, I'm too messed up to for, for God to forgive me. Well, false. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He calls himself the chief of sinners, and God forgave him when he repented. Jesus forgave repentant sinners of all sorts of different things, adulterers, prostitutes, people who did all sorts of wickedness. He forgave them when they turned to him. So it is a lie to believe that we're too messed up for Jesus. None of us is too messed up for Jesus. Or we might think, I need to figure it all out. I need to work, work this all out on my own before I can even approach God. False. We come to Jesus recognizing that we're all messed up, that we're broken, that we need a Savior. We come to Him recognizing that our way didn't do what we thought it was going to do, that we may have tried to make ourselves better on our own. We may have tried to reach up to God, but we could not do it. We keep on doing the work, and it's not accomplishing anything. We come to God realizing that we are broken, sinful people, all messed up, who need a Savior. We come, essentially, as we are. And we place our trust in Him. We recognize that Jesus died, laid down His life. His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be brought into His family. But He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us messed up. So it's also, we may hear people say, well, I can continue to do whatever I want, which is the message of the world, I love myself so much. I love myself so much. But that's also false. Right in this passage, we're told to put off the old self and put on the new self. 
We're told to follow after the righteousness and holiness of God. So if you're a Jesus follower, we don't just stay where we are all messed up. We come to God, He forgives us, and because we are forgiven, we seek to honor Him. Not because it earns us salvation, but because we've already been brought into his family. We recognize the great cost at which it cost him for us to be brought into his family. He died. He bore the punishment for sin. The punishment that we were supposed to take on ourselves, he took. So that we could be brought into his family. So that we don't have to do the work, but now we turn around and we seek to live our lives honoring him. That's why we seek spiritual renewal. That's why we fight against the noise of the world that says, I love me so much. I love me so much. And we seek to follow the Jesus way, the Christ way. It's common today in certain circles to say, okay, that's all well and good. But Paul said that. Jesus didn't. Well, Jesus summarizes this new life over and over again throughout the Gospels. And I want to highlight just three, three ways that he summarizes the new life that we are supposed to live, the spiritually renewed life. When Jesus was challenged about the most important commandment, he said, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So as followers of Jesus, we seek to love God with our entire being, with every fiber, every cell within us, we seek to love God. We're not perfect at it. We're going to fail at it. But we seek to love Him. And that means following His way. That means putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And notice that loving others doesn't mean that you don't love yourself. It means that you love others as you love yourself. Because the normative stance for people is that we will, in general, love ourselves above anything else. So we don't need to be reminded of that, contrary to what culture might tell us. We need to be reminded to care and love other people. But going beyond this, and so important, Jesus tells us that living the new life means practicing self-denial rather than self-indulgence. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We follow a self-denying Savior. Jesus limited himself in certain ways. Jesus became human. He didn't need to do that. He humbled himself. And he went to the cross willingly. 
He didn't indulge every single thing that he could have. He showed us a way, and that way is to follow after him, practicing self-denial. So it's not about self-indulgence, I can do whatever I want, when the world says that's what we should be doing. Fighting against that is fixing our eyes on Christ, fixing our eyes on the God who willingly stepped off of his throne to become human and willingly went to the cross. It means denying ourselves and not just doing whatever we want to do. It's recognizing that we don't get to do everything we want to do. In fact, any parent will tell you giving your kids everything they want is not good for them because some things they want are just stupid. I hope I can say that, but some things they want are just not good for them. So why would we give it to them? And our hearts as grown-ups are the same way. There are things that we want that are not good for us. And that's why the Word of God tells us not to do them, not to pursue them, because they're not good for us. We need to trust God with that. Finally, Jesus tells us that living the new life is hard and it takes diligence. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It takes diligence. It takes fixing our eyes on Jesus. It takes following His way. And when we do slip off the narrow path, it takes getting up and getting back on the path. It takes trusting in God through it all. It takes endurance. It's not an easy road. And we might think that spiritual renewal will rush upon us in some definitive way where we feel something special, powerful within us during a worship service. And I'm not saying that can't happen, but more often than not, spiritual renewal comes from seeking God diligently, daily, in the mundane, everyday tasks while we battle the noise of our world it comes from seeking to live faithfully in a world that is pulling us away from faith in God. As I said earlier, the next part of Ephesians dives into a whole list of things that I'll just call the rules for Christ followers. And I'll just summarize some of them because there's a whole bunch. It's put away falsehood. Speak the truth. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't go to bed angry. Give no opportunity to the devil. Stop stealing things. Don't say anything corrupt. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Be kind to one another. And forgive one another. And Paul actually summarizes this whole list that goes on beyond this very nicely in Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2, when he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, 
and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our job isn't to be imitators of the world. Seeking spiritual renewal means seeking to imitate God in our conduct, imitate Christ, to walk in love, and the way that Christ loved us was sacrificially, laying down some of his rights, as we ought to lay down some of our rights, as we ought to deny ourselves everything that we could possibly want so that we can follow him and his way, knowing what he says is good, that he laid down his life so that we could know him. This is a lot. And the pull of the world is strong, and it's not easy to do all these things we are by nature going to slip up. We are by nature going to go wayward from time to time. But Paul gives us maybe a, a good final instruction, which is Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Make the best of the time you have. Be wise, not foolish. Be careful how you walk. Why? Because we are seeking to love God, to honor Him with our lives. And I want to le conclude and leave you with three things that you can do to help fight against the pull and the noise of the world. Three things that you can do to hopefully help develop a pattern and a habit of spiritual renewal in your life. A way that you can go God, God's way, go the Christ way, as opposed to going the world's way. And the first one is, is to go offline. Now, I'm not saying go offline 100%. Don't just go home and throw all your, your devices away. I'm saying make a habit to take time away from technology. This, is, this one's hard for a lot of us. It's hard for me. I wake up in the morning and my phone's right there. I open it up. I scroll through the news, Instagram, whatever, check emails, doing all this stuff before I've even gotten out of bed sometimes. I'm doom scrolling, finding out what's going on in the world or whatever it is. And before I know it, time's getting sucked away. And I'm losing time that could be better spent. Time that could be spent with God. Time that could be spent with my family because I'm just scrolling through. So make a habit of taking time away from technology. Take a walk. Enjoy God's nature. Enjoy the creation that he's given us. Read a book, but not like an e-book, like a book book made of paper so you can stay away from being online. Read a book about biblical studies. Read a book about prayer. Read a book about Christian living. Read a book that will help you understand God and the Christian life better. Take time to do that. Maybe take time every day away from social media, away from the online world so you can fight against the noise that is out there that pulls us away from the heart and life of God away from the I love me so much mentality. So go offline for a little bit. Take some time offline. 
The next one is to take a spiritual retreat. Now, this sounds like a big thing. and In fact, oftentimes we'll take all the youth away to, to a camp in the, in the woods and we'll study the Bible, worship, and pray together. That's a spiritual retreat. But we don't need to go that far. In fact, just before I started here as a student ministries pastor, a few weeks before, I took, I took a spiritual retreat. And it was only a few hours. I went down to Crescent Beach, and I walked along that path along the beach until I got to that part where the path ends, but you can keep walking along the rocks. And I walked. And I walked until I was at a place where I knew I was alone. I was isolated. And all I had with me was my Bible and a journal. And I sat down and I prayed. I listened quietly and I read the pastoral epistles. And I jotted down notes and thoughts that came to me. And then I prayed some more. And then I sat and listened. And I try to make a habit of doing similar things throughout the year. And sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. But the point isn't to take a, an elaborate time away, but to just set aside a few hours, a few times a year. Maybe, maybe once every three months. A few extra hours where you focus on God for an extended amount of time. Not just your regular devotional time. Not just when you're going offline, but go offline for a little bit longer and get alone, whether that's at the beach like I did or, or at, in a park or going up a mountain or just sitting in your living room quietly by yourself and take some time, just you and God alone for a few hours, once every few months. And take some time in there to be quiet, to listen, to read, to pray, to write down thoughts, to write down things that, you, that come to mind. Take a spiritual retreat and do it regularly. Schedule it in your year. Put it in your calendar and, and try your best to stick to it. And then finally, become reflective. Become reflective. A few years ago, I was having some back issues and some shoulder issues and some neck issues. There was a whole bunch of issues. And I went to the chiropractor, and he was fixing me up real good. But he gave me a book. And this book was, it was around New Year's, and this book was basically advocating for, rather than setting a whole bunch of goals and New Year's resolutions, just pick one word that's going to be your theme for the year and focus on how that theme affects various areas of your life. And so for me right now, my theme is become reflective. So I offer that to you as well, become reflective. And all that means is, is to think about your day. And here's a, a few questions that you could ask yourself that I've, I've borrowed from a book called uh, Spiritual Disciplines uh, by James Whitney. And... Um, here, here's, here's just a few questions. He has got tons of questions in there, but, but here's, here's a few of them. Where did I see God today? When was I most aware of God? What should I have done differently? What do I need to confess and repent of? 
How can I glorify God tomorrow? How can I make a positive impact tomorrow? Take five, ten minutes at the end of your day before you go to sleep to reflect on how your day was, where God moved in your day, where you went wayward in your day, and think about your next day, how you can glorify God, how you can have a a different day the next day. Take some time to become reflective. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes intention. When you add these up, you get offline and get away from that noise. Take a spiritual retreat where you spend time alone with God and focus on reflecting on your day every day. You will experience spiritual renewal as time goes on, as you grow closer to Him. But it takes intention. It takes walking it out and doing it. It takes putting off the old self, and putting on the new self. It takes fighting against the way of the world and clinging to and chasing after, following after, and every time you fall down, getting back up and running after the way of Christ, seeking to honor Him with your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your amazing love for us. We thank you that you meet us where we are, that you don't expect us to get it all figured out before you save us, that you save us and then you invite us into a relationship with you that you want us to grow and develop and grow closer to you. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the areas that we need to surrender to you, the areas that we need to um, grow in, the places that we need to let go of and turn from. And I pray that we would not get caught up in the way of the world, but we would seek after the way of Christ. I pray that each one of us would find time to get offline, to take a spiritual retreat, and to become reflective. And I pray that we would grow spiritually, that we would be renewed spiritually through that process. We thank you so much that you are with us in all that we do. And I pray that we would seek to glorify you in all that we do. And Lord, for anyone today that maybe doesn't know you, I pray that they wouldn't think that they need to have it all figured out or that they're too messed up for you. I pray that you would meet them where they are. I pray that they would repent, confess with their mouths that you are Lord and believe in their heart that you are indeed raised from the dead. Trust you to cover their sin and that they would turn and follow after you. Pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen.